Thanks, Jeremy, for reading the Bible for us. Uh, so just to confuse you, I thought I'd pick two books that look similar in the New and Old Testament. Um, but Jeremy did really well. Well, uh, it's really great to be able to be here and to open the Word with you guys again. We, I uh, mean, the boys and Caitlin, miss being here so much. And uh, it's just great to be here with you again. Uh, well, uh, today we're going to talk about someone who is considered great among the kings of Israel. But even though he is great among the kings of Israel, he's not a king we particularly know well, right? In fact, most people don't even know what he was famous for. Uh, and, and if you ask most Christians what 2 Chronicles 16 is about, most people won't be able to tell you. Uh, but here it is. Well, just to get you thinking about famous people, uh, I thought I'd get you to think about famous people in history. Uh, so here's a quick quiz. Sorry, you didn't know you were having a quiz uh, today, but here it is. And it's going to be lots of fun. So look at the screen. There's five people on the screen, famous in history. I want you to talk to the person next to you, or if you're by yourself, with yourself. Figure out uh, who these people are and what they're famous for. I'm going to give you a minute. So who are these people? Why are they famous? Yep, talk to people. See if you can recognize all five. Here's some good answers out there. Keep going. Okay, you got 10 seconds, so lock in your answers. Okay, time is up. So, who just call them out. Who is the first one on the top left? Yeah, Albert Einstein. Do you know what he's famous for? Yes, good job. So he, Albert Einstein, German, born a theoretical physicist and philosopher of science. Sounds thrilling. Um, he uh, invented uh, EMC squared, which is the world's most famous equation. And it isn't just an equation. It led to the creation of the atom bomb, an earth-shaking bomb, which ended World War II. And it changed the way we do warfare in our world forever. Okay, what about the next one? The one with the big wig? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Sir Isaac Newton. A lot of people get confused with that one. He looks like a musician. So, uh, most famous for his law of gravitation, English physicist and mathematician, Sir Isaac Newton. He was instrumental in the, uh, in the scientific revolution in the 17th century. And in fact, today we can't talk about forces and physics without uh, referencing his laws. So that's the th second one. What about the third one on the right? So he might look familiar to us, but I guarantee you it's not, it's not Steve White. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so um, who, uh, who's the third one? This is a hard one. No, he's not. Sorry? No, no, he looks like someone like that. He might surprise you. Um, something to do with space. Huh? 
I don't think so. Yeah. Yes, it is. Oh, I got it. So Nicholas Copernicus, a Polish mathematician, uh, so he discovered, or rediscovered, the heliocentric model of the universe. So you proposed that the sun was the center of the universe, not the earth. So he revolutionized our understanding of the universe. What about number, the, the one on the bottom left? Does anyone know? I think people, some people said it. Yeah, William Shakespeare. Can't get that one wrong. So widely regarded as the greatest English writer and dramatist to have ever lived. And then someone said the last one as well. Who knows the last one? Yes, Marie Curie. Do you know what she's famous for? Huh? Yes, correct. She invented the word radioactivity, or uh, she discovered uh, radiation. Uh, She's perhaps best uh, known for that research. So that was instrumental in the development of x-rays. We use them mostly uh, when we go into hospital for serious things. Uh, Marie Curie was also the first woman ever to win the Nobel Prize and the first person ever, period, to win it twice, uh, both in physics and then a few years later in chemistry. Well, good job, everyone. Uh, well, there's one last person. He's going to appear on the screen. Oh, actually, there's a couple of slides. And then there was another person. So that's all those discoveries. Yeah, okay, here we go. Does anyone know who this is? Yeah, a oh, good job. Oh, straight away. No one in the morning shows could get it. Um, that's, yeah. Anyways, strong in other ways. So, uh, so uh, you want to ask the, the uni students, actually? Guess who they said? They said, oh, is that Tony Stark? <laughs> so I said, no. Uh, so, uh, so... This is Nikola Tesla. He was uh, conveniently born during a lightning storm in 1856. It might be a fabrication. Uh, He invented the Tesla coil. Next slide. And he also invented alternating current machinery. Uh, He is estimated to have an IQ of 160 all the way up to 310 by different measures. (laughs) But the Serbian physicist and prodigy, did he die with great pomp? Well, no. He died penniless in a New York City hotel in 1943 in a hotel called the New Yorker. In fact, if you want to stay in the room that he died in for any reason, uh, you can do that today. Well, next slide. Uh, What do you think of these people? Would you like to be one of these people? To be remembered like one of the greats? Well, unfortunately, even if, uh, like, like we saw in Nikola Tesla's life, even if you're extremely smart, ahead of your field, and you have an IQ of 310, I don't even know how that's possible, uh, people will not always remember you. Uh, and you might not even be very rich or successful when you die. But something I'd like you to think about today is, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered by the people after you? What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Do you want to be remembered as someone smart, successful, ahead of their field? Or do you want to be someone remembered as someone who really trusted in God? Well, today I'm going to show you that you want to be remembered as the second one. You want to be remembered as someone who trusts God above everything excellent human wisdom. 
because trusting in God is superior to human wisdom, even excellent human wisdom. Well, how I'm going to show you that is going back to the story that, I, uh, that was read out to you before, uh, the story about King Asa, who was exceptionally wise, and the story goes a bit like this. So I'm going to tell the story. So the kids, there's pictures and everything. It's fantastic. So uh, there was once a king called King Asa. He was the king of a nation called Judah. During his reign, uh, the neighboring and sister country, Israel, sounds familiar, was at war with him. In fact, Israel even attempted to block all traffic in and out of Judah by stopping all the traffic on the major roads into that country, in the road into that country. They did this by building a large military base in a place called Ramah, which is next to the road in Judea, uh, sorry, Judah, and is in fact inside of Judah's borders. So what that meant was that traders couldn't come in or out of Judah. Uh, this meant that this country uh, wasn't able to get the supplies it needed to run properly from the surrounding countries or get supplies out to trade. No soldiers were able to come in that, into that country and nobody was able to escape to get supplies. They were trapped in their own country. So what, what were they going to do? Well, the king of Judah, King Asa, took all the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the temple of God and his own palace, and he sent it to a bigger country, which was on the other side of Israel's border. He sent money to the kingdom of Aram, uh, there's a few slides later, asking for help. He said to the king of Aram, let there be a treaty between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. So King Aram, uh, king, the king of Aram, sorry, agreed with King Asa, and he sent command, the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel, breaking treaty with them. And they conquered the towns of Ejon, Dan, Abel, Mayim, and all the store cities of the Naphtali region of Israel. When the king of Israel heard about this, he immediately stops all building in Ramah and he abandons his work. Then King Asa, after, after the Israelites retreated, he was very clever. He got his people, in fact all the men of Israel, to, uh, sorry Judah, to come and carry away the stones and timber being used to build the fort in Ramah. And with them, he built his own forts in the towns called Geba. And Mizpah. But at the time, a messenger from God called Hanani came to King Asa and he said to the king this He said, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with, a far, with far greater numbers or chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hands. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a stupid thing, and from now on, you will be at war with the countries surrounding you. God will no longer protect you. So after hearing this, King Asa was angry with the messenger. He was so angry that he even put him in prison. Uh, can you go to the next slide? 
And next one after that. Hmm, I think I was... Uh, don't worry, just go back. <laughs> so, um, yep, so he's so angry that he puts him in prison. And at the same time, King Asa is said to have started mistreating his subjects. Maybe what was happening was the king was upset with, the, with one of his people. That he would dare confront him and accuse him of being foolish for trusting Aram. After all, he was the hero. He had rescued his people from having no food and being invaded by the Israelites. How dare his people criticize him? So as a result, he started mistreating them. After all, they didn't even appreciate what he did for them. Well, three years later, King Asa's life was coming to an end and he develops severe leg disease. Though his disease was severe, he did not look to God for help. But the, the Bible says that he sought out his doctors for help only. Then the very next year, in the 41st year of the king of, king of, the king of Asa's reign, he died. And they buried him in, the to- in a tomb he had cut out for himself in King David's city. They laid him on a platform covered with all kinds of spices and various blends of perfume. Uh, then they made a huge fire in his honor. His funeral procession showed that they thought that he was a great king of Israel. Well, that's the story. Uh, I hope that it was interesting. I sure hope so, because that's why I picked it to share with you today. Uh, well, I think in this story, there are three important lessons that we can learn, and I'm going to share them with you now. Well, let's go to the first thing. So this should be the first point. Uh, firstly, our story teaches us that excellent human wisdom is great. Excellent human wisdom is great. Wonderful, even. Just look at how wise King Asa is. He's a great politician and diplomat, and we saw that when there was a threat to his country, a significant one, he responded quickly and decisively. He used all of his gold and silver to ask a favor from a great king who he had an alliance with in in, in the past. He asked the king of Aram to break treaty with Israel and begin an all-out war with them so that the Israelites would retreat from Judah's borders and stop building a military base there. This is a clever move because Aram was a much, had a much bigger army than Israel, was a much bigger threat uh, to Israel than Judah ever was. So Asa knows that if Aram was at war with Israel, then they would immediately retreat to defend their borders from a much larger threat on the other side of the border. And how does his plan go? Well, we find out that his plan worked out perfectly. The king of Aram invades Israel with a full-scale invasion, conquering many important towns, and Israel retreats from Ramah and stops building there. Now people are able to get in and out of Judah freely again. King Asa also uses his great wisdom uh, to plan ahead, to take the stones and wood from the fort in Ramah and build two of his own forts near the border to protect Israel from any further, sorry, to, to protect Judah from any further Israelite invasion. This is a masterful plan. 
It's genius. It's excellent, isn't it? Excellent human wisdom is great. And it should be respected. Well, it's the same as when we look at the world that we live in. Uh, All kinds of wisdom and intelligence, excellence, so much, in fact, that there's TED Talks coming out all the time. Uh, So there's talk, so not only of humans made it to the moon and and, and sent, uh, sent like satellites throughout the universe, but we're even planning, actually planning on settling Mars. You know, that's excellent. Um, excellent human wisdom is great. And we, in the Bible, we learn that where they come from, well, God gives us the tools to have this kind of wisdom. But unfortunately, in the story, we learn also that human wisdom, well, it's not the only reality. So this is point two. That's the second thing we learn from our story today. We learn that human wisdom is not the only reality. What I mean is that if you, don't, uh, if you want to be truly wise, uh, you don't just consider human wisdom, do you? But you also remember to consider that God is watching what we do. God is watching all that we do, every one of us. And like we learned in our story today, God is looking to help people to trust in Him. God is looking to help people who trust in Him. But unfortunately, the king, uh, the king we saw, King Asa, well, he did not trust God. So God has to send a messenger called Hanani uh, to King Asa to, to tell him this. He tells him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from you. So basically what what God is saying to King Asa is, why did you rely on the king of Aram? Why did you rely on him to help you when you were in trouble? Why didn't you ask me, your God, to help you? I was going to help you defeat the king of Aram, But now, you won't be able to defeat him at all. God's point was that uh, King Asa already had someone there to help him. He already had God there to help him. And he knew this. But for some reason, King Asa had forgotten. In fact, if you read just two chapters earlier, in 2 Chronicles 14, you learn that in the past, King Asa was not like this. Something's changed. And Hanani the prophet reminds King Asa about this here in chapter 16. He reminds him about when he fought against both the Cushites and the Libyan armies all together who were waging war against Judah and combined they had a much larger army than they had. Hanani reminds King Asa that back then King Asa asked God for help. Uh, we learn about this in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 11. It's on the screen now, where he actually prays uh, this prayer to God before battle. He says this, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against a vast army. O Lord, you are our God, Do not let man prevail against you. 
So King Asa used to know that people were less powerful than God. In fact, he used to know that people were only powerful when God was helping them. But now King Asa has forgotten all about God and he no longer relied on him. But now instead, what does he rely on? Well, he relies on his own intelligence and strategy. Maybe he thought that he had outgrown God. I'm done with that. Maybe King Asa felt like he didn't need God anymore. Or in the heat of the moment, he forgot to think about it. Maybe he thinks that he has the ability to run his own country all by himself now. Thanks. But God shows King Asa that he is an important part of reality. In fact, God shows King Asa that he is the king of our reality. And to not realize that is not wise. God summarizes this by saying to King Asa these important, uh, these important words. And this is, I'd say this is so important in this book because 1 and 2 Chronicles, for the most part, is just retelling history, making sense of what happened in Israel. So people are exiled to different countries and they're starting to think, you know, what has, what's God doing? Why are we exiled? And this passage is put in here to help them, to help them to see what God is doing in all of history. And it says this, For the eyes of the Lord look throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. God is basically saying to King Asa, God is watching people in our world, and He's watching to help people who want to know Him and fully trust in Him. God wants people to trust in Him. Do you trust in Him? But now that King Asa no longer recognizes this, well, God's not going to help him anymore. God decides to show King Asa his place. God shows King Asa that human wisdom is not the only reality. God shows him that he is in heaven watching all that we do and that that is the reality. And it is he who helps whoever he wishes to be successful, not man. And that to refuse to recognize this uh, is, is foolish. Well, that's the second thing we learn in our story. Um, but lastly, we also learn uh, this. We also learn that refusing to accept God as a reality uh, will end badly for you. Refusing to accept God as a reality will end badly for you. And I say this um, not because you know, Christians are better than anyone else. I say this because it's true. Um, so just hear me out for a second. Even if you're really smart and successful in life, we learn in this story, just through King Asa's life, which comes to an end quickly, uh, doesn't, things don't get better for him. In the end... Uh, we learn that he refuses to accept that it's more important to rely on God than rely on his own intelligence. In the end, King Asa develops a bad leg disease, which we heard about. But even with this bad leg disease, which, you know, it's no skin off his nose if he asks God for help, we learn that he still stubbornly refuses to ask God for help. Why? Why? Instead, he only trusts his own doctors to help him, 
He only trusts his own intelligence again. This shows that King Asa didn't change back to someone who trusted God with all his heart, which we heard about two chapters ago. He was the model example, but all of a sudden, he's changed. The story doesn't have a nice ending, unfortunately. Despite King Asa's, uh, Asa being taught a valuable lesson, he kept on stubbornly trusting only in himself and other people, in man. How tragic. Then in the next year, what happens? Well, King Asa dies. But while you and me know that King Asa was no longer a great king, it's clear to the audience, the people who bury him, well, they see things very differently. They see him as an extraordinary man. We see this because when they buried him, King Asa is buried in a magnificent tomb, in the place where the great kings of Israel are buried. And if you read 1 and 2 Chronicles, you learn that there's a pattern. When kings are good and godly, they get buried in the, great, the tombs of the great kings. But when they're not good, they die in the streets or they get buried somewhere else. So they laid him on this platform of wood covered with all kinds of spices and perfumes. Very expensive things in ancient times, but a lot of it in one place. It's trying to tell us that it was over the top. And they made this huge fire in his honor. Nowhere else in the Bible do they say huge, by the way. Uh, and it's, it's associated with fire in this circumstance, which is part of the reason why I like this story. They honor him like a great hero when he dies. Well, was it right that they did this? Was this appropriate? Well, yes, of course, because his wisdom was excellent. And he did rescue Judah with his wisdom. In the Bible, we learn that the wisdom uh, that we have is actually something God gives to us as a gift. And it's something we should celebrate. In fact, earlier in this book, in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 11 to 12, uh, we learn that God gives King Solomon, another king of Judah and Israel, great wisdom. In fact, wisdom greater than anyone before and anyone ever after. But as we honor someone for being wise, we need to not forget that man's great wisdom is only a small part of the bigger reality, the bigger picture. God is in charge of our world, and He has made our world in far greater wisdom than we possess. It's humbling to think this, but it's true. We might be intelligent. But we might, we don't, if we don't recognize that God is in charge of our world and our universe, then the Bible puts it quite plainly and bluntly. Uh, we're foolish. And we've missed the point of why we and our universe exists. God is our maker, and He wants us to know Him and rely on Him. In fact, that's why all of this exists. Just ponder that for a moment. All of this exists for that one purpose that we might know Him. Every blade of grass, every breath, every cell, every molecule, all that we, of all people in the universe, might know that God is a reality and He wants us to know Him and trust Him as our Father. 
So, if we refuse to recognize God as a reality, yes, our lives might be good here, um, but the Bible also tells us that that's not all there is. It tells us that one day, whoever we are, we're going to have to face God. And He will judge us for what we do. He's watching. And He'll judge us for whether we've trusted Him in our lives. In particular, we as Christians believe that uh, God has come to earth to reveal Himself to us in Jesus, His Son, and to die for our sins. If we trust that God has done these things, if we trust that these things are indeed from God, God will allow us to live forever, comfortably in His eternal kingdom. But if we are found to not have acknowledged and trusted God in our lives, we'll be punished forever. Because we would have refused God, our King, of the one thing He requires of us. And what is that? That we acknowledge Him and obey Him as our Creator, as our Father. Well, how can we be wise after hearing this story? How can we be wise after hearing this story? Well, we should know that human wisdom is not all that there is. We need to recognize that God is in control of our world and He wants us to know and trust in Him. We need to recognize that it's superior to trust in God than human wisdom. And we need to recognize that if we only trust in human wisdom... Well, it might not end well for us. Maybe human wisdom will be good for you in the short term. um, But what about the future? What about eternity? After we die? What about that reality? If that is a reality, well, it'd be foolish not to make plans for them. Well, how can we best be best prepared for after we die and face God, our Maker? Well, I encourage you to discover who God is and whether He really is a reality you should pay attention to. Are you sure that human wisdom is all that there is? Are you sure? I'd hate for you to miss out on something far greater, which we have uh, access to. You don't want to be wrong about this thing. It's not worth it. Uh, Don't do it to yourself. Make sure this isn't the position of you or the people you know. Trusting in God is superior to excellent human wisdom. Well, for many of you, I know that this is not the the case. Uh, Most of you that I know from here do trust that God is a reality and is superior to human wisdom. And you do try to explain what you believe to others, um, but sadly, uh, you do experience this reality too. You experience a reality where people look down on you uh, when you talk about God or living for Him. It's like you're from space. Uh, well, if this is you, uh, I'd like to encourage you with these words. Uh, the words of Paul the Apostle from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It can actually save us. Or the reality is that God is saving people through the message of Jesus, through, merely through people telling each other this message, super simple. Um, and through it, people will be risen from the dead to life forever. This is, don't take that lightly. This is incredible. And as Christians, it's tempting to think that. Oh, you know, coming back to life, that's pretty normal. It's not, it's incredible. What human wisdom so far can allow us to do that? What scientific discovery for certain will allow us to do that in the future? None. Nothing. Well, to come back to the question I asked at the beginning, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered by those after you? What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Well, there's a man who left behind a great legacy, and, but perhaps not for the reasons you might think. Well, who I'm talking about is Billy Graham. He'll come up on the screen, so I know he's very dear to a lot of you. Well, you might think that this man uh, left behind a good legacy because he, was, because he was an impressive man. He was intelligent. He came to Australia and all places all around the world and preached about Jesus to many thousands more thousands than we'll probably meet. And uh, many thousands were helped by him to believe in Jesus. But that's not why he left behind a good legacy. That's not what he'd say. He left behind a good legacy because he wholeheartedly trusted in God. We see it in what he used to say, and I put that up on the screen. He used to say this. He used to say, I'm not going to heaven because I've preached to great crowds or read the Bible many times. I'm going to heaven because just like the thief on the cross who said in that last moment, Lord, remember me. He's talking about uh, the account of Jesus' death and the thief on the cross who, who Jesus saved in his last moments uh, on earth. Yeah, before resurrection. Well, Billy Graham trusted Jesus. Uh, that's why he left behind a good legacy. Don't you want to be remembered like that? You want to be remembered as someone who trusts God above excellent human wisdom. That's a good legacy. Make sure you help people to know that in the limited time we have here. Make sure you know that in the limited time we know here, and that you really believe it. Well, how about I finish by praying for you guys uh, and myself that we won't let ourselves, even in the later years of our lives, to think that uh, we are the solution to our problems um, because quite clearly we're, we're not. Well, how about I finish by praying for you? Uh, would you please join me? Dear God, we thank you so much uh, for your grace. And that you want us to know you and trust you. I uh, pray that you would help. Uh, thank you that you've given us gifts. That you, uh, people are impressive and we do great things. And thank you for the gifts of being able to do that. 
But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be fooled. That we wouldn't be fooled into believing that we have the solutions to everything. Because we don't. We haven't solved the big problems of uh, being human, uh, nor will we ever. But those solutions are found in you. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember that. Help us to remember that for our friends. Help us to share that with our friends. And uh, remember that for ourselves too. We pray these things in Jesus' name.